0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I know you've been wished this, but I'm going to do it again. Happy New Year. Uh, I I pray that you do. Your 2024 did get off to a good start. Um, uh, Ours has around here. That means a lot of new things going going on. Um, uh, Kyler has already invited you uh, to uh, hang out a little bit after our service to help us Undeck the halls. You know, we decked the halls a while back, but we need to undeck them. And the more of you that are able to stay and hang out, the less this old man has to carry up flights of stairs. Okay? It's just sayings all. You know, if it's just pity, I'll t- I take pity. You know, I'm, 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 I'm good with that. Second uh, new thing that's going on around here today that I want to invite you to participate in is we are receiving nominations for deacons at River Bluff. We we're entering this season to receive nominations for new deacons. Here's how I would encourage you to uh, play this out and pray this out. Um, I'd encourage you maybe sometime today uh, to uh, go to God's Word in First Timothy chapter 3 and uh you can read verses like i think around 8 through 13 or really the biblical descriptions of qualifications for deacon it wouldn't hurt you to read you know starting in verse 1. um, first timothy 3 and then then go to the lord and pray and just say lord uh, show me uh, who you would want to raise up to be a deacon to serve at River Bluff Church. And then if you would, um, get those names to us. Now, you can do that in a couple of ways. The Lord may reveal uh, right now, even while I'm speaking, He may reveal somebody to you that you just have sensed. God's ready to see them serve in that way. Just pull out a connection card, write their name, and that you're nominating them for deacon. And um, just you can drop it off in one of our uh, little drop-off boxes, our giving boxes, and that information will get to us. You can email it to me later in the week, but I would encourage you to make it a matter of prayer um, before you, you, you launch, okay? Uh, I think that would be a good thing. Now, if I estimate right, we're close to uh, having been one week into this new year. And the cynical part of me has begun wondering, wonder how many people have already blown past their resolutions, you know just kind of just drop the ball on them you know and and the reason i wonder that is because i have come to believe something about new year's resolutions and that is they exist because of things we don't like new year's resolutions exist because there's things that maybe we don't like about ourselves you know maybe maybe our weight or maybe a habit or maybe something going on in our health and I think one of the reasons they get kind of dropped so quickly um, is because th- it just seems to me that part of human nature, fallenness of human nature, that we, we avoid things we don't like. It starts very young. Children try to avoid vegetables. You know, adults, we try to avoid Exercise. And then you know, there's those people that love vegetable and exercise, and we just try to avoid them completely. You know, I I don't I don't know what your your thing might be, whatever it is, but you know, we just try to avoid things we don't like. And sometimes sometimes that uh, you know sometimes that doesn't hurt us. Sometimes it it can hurt us. Uh, your dumb pastor. Uh, didn't like having to find new doctors when my doctors would retire I, my primary care physicians I had two retire almost felt like I got one and then he retired and then I got another one he retired And so I just thought done with this. I don't like this and so I went for about 10 years without a primary care physician dumb move Just dumb move sometimes, you know Things that you don't like won't bother you. Sometimes they can bother you real bad And those of you that don't know, I ended up uh, this past July in a hospital having my chest cracked open and a valve replaced um, because something that I didn't like wasn't good for me, you know, and I found it out kind of the hard way. Sometimes things we don't like don't hurt us. Sometimes they do, avoiding those things. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you. And I'm going to ask you uh, to please don't judge me harshly uh, about what I'm about to say. But there there are actually some statements in the Bible, when I first read them anyway, that I didn't like. You ever read something in the Bible and you just personally thought, I don't really like that that thing's in there. You know, well, we're, we're, there's one of those things that I need to talk about today. And the reason I need to talk about it today is this particular statement in the Bible actually answers a very important question that all of us, I think, have raised in our minds, and, and we need to have answered. And I want to remind you that the answer that we're about to come to, I didn't make it up, okay? This is somebody else's words inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's not, it's not what I would say my answer. Now, here, here's the question, and it's just, uh, again, the answer may end up being a bit troubling, but here's the, the big question for today, and it's simply this. What do we do when there's nothing we can do? What do we do when there's nothing we can do? When, when our circumstances happens to be what it is, and we don't particularly like what it is? It might be a health issue. It might be a financial issue. It might be... A relationship uh, on the verge of falling apart. It might be work related. It might be school related. It might be marriage related. It might be that you feel alone, and when you go on social media, you think everybody else has somebody, but but you. Or you may be somebody who wishes you could be more alone. I don't know. It, it's just one of those things that you you know you find yourself at a place that you're stuck in, and you feel like that there is nothing that you can do. I remember um, at the height of the pandemic, I, I lived with that feeling twenty four seven. You know, just this this constant feeling about not just couldn't wait for things to, you know, get back to normal or more normal or new normal or just just not the way it currently was. Wanting to do something about it, and all the while feeling like there was nothing that I could do. And then you come to a book in the Bible, like the book of James. And it starts out, I mean, it really opens. We're gonna, we're gonna see this. If you, if you heard Garrett read it a moment ago, it just starts out in chapter one, uh, the, the first couple of verses, offering advice, giving instructions that at first, honestly, feel a little insensitive. I mean, you could read it and think, James don't know what's going on in my life. What gives him the right to say something? I've always heard that it was a bad idea to try to give people counsel until you know their whole story. Maybe maybe you're one of those folks who uh, I've spoken to before who maybe read or heard the Sermon on the Mount, the great message that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to that place where he says, don't worry about tomorrow. And your first thought is, He doesn't know what my tomorrow holds. If he knew what I was facing tomorrow, you know, he wouldn't tell me not to to worry. You know, to some, some things in the scriptures may seem real insensitive, you know, to just give these big blanket arching statements. And what James is about to say to us is going to feel like one of those. Now, James starts off his letter in a very interesting way, I think. It's simply by giving us his name. James chapter 1, verse 1, word 1, James. You know, that was a great way to start, I think. Now, regardless of, you know, how much you may not initially like what he's about to say next, regardless how much you may not like it, the, the truth is you and I would be a little bit foolish not to pay attention, not to take his instructions pretty seriously. And here's why. Because this is James the brother of Jesus. This James is Jesus' brother. And so he had a front row seat to the life of our Lord and Savior. And this James was also the primary leader of the church in Jerusalem, where the church was born during the first century. This is James who believed most of his adult life that his brother was his Lord. He saw him he saw him live, he saw him crucified and died, and he saw him raised from death. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who was the lead pastor, if you would, of the church in Jerusalem for about 30 years, historians tell us. And I want you to let that sink in because the, the church in Jerusalem was, uh, I mean, it was interesting, you know? Uh, it, 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 was, it was a church in the midst of struggle from its onset in many ways. And because James led that church during that critical time, uh, it gives him, for me, a lot of street credibility. He gets a lot of street cred from me because of that. I, I don't know if you remember that the church in Jerusalem, it would make sense, was primarily made up of Jewish converts, people who were Jewish born, and that had been their faith, and they began following Jesus. And they were thought of in that day as blasphemers to, to say that Jesus was God. We, we would kind of, we probably use the word heretic. They didn't really use that word. They used uh, blasphemers. And so that meant they got ostracized everywhere in their community. They got ostracized in, with family members. They got ostracized uh, in social settings. They got ostracized at, at the temple. Um, one of the things that the temple did for Jewish life was it supported uh, widows. And the widows of, that had become followers of Jesus were no longer being supported by the temple. And that created havoc for them. Uh, this group of people uh, that, that was in such turmoil, they were being pastored by James. He was responsible for, for loving them and, and leading them uh, into Life in the kingdom of God. Now, in fact, things were so bad at the church in Jerusalem that the Apostle Paul, as he was, you know, making circles around the Mediterranean, planting churches, he was also collecting uh, offerings, if you would, from Gentile believers to send back to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem because things were so bad there. They were so deeply impoverished. And James pastored in this environment for, for over 30 years. That was essentially James's life, if you would. Uh, and again, gives uh, incredible credibility for me to the words that he says, because he was surrounded pretty much his whole ministry, uh, by a community that was in crisis. And with all that's going on, we're told that James says to his first century listeners, as well as to us 21st century listeners, he gave them something to do and he gives us something to do. And I want us to look at this. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ again, still just amazes me that the brother of the Lord sees Jesus as His Lord, not just Lord of Lord and Kings of Kings, not just some phrase, but His personal Lord and Savior. Verse one continues. It says. Uh, to the the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. Now, I'm not going to take time to go into all of that. There's a lot of complex history there. But the people of God had been dispersed, scattered among the nations on multiple occasions throughout the Old Testament. Um, They ended up in captivity by other nations and then when persecution breaks out of the church, they kind of get scattered. We may come and talk about some of that later in our study, but I don't want to unpack that today. Here's what I want you to notice. And you'll recognize this probably if you grew up In a church, you may have heard this phrase, I want you to look at verse 2. It says this, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, for me, sometimes when I'm meditating on a passage of Scripture, uh, I'll flip it around. I'll just kind of reverse the order a little bit to try to, to, to soak in all the good. Have you ever like held a diamond and turned it so that it can pick up light on the many different facets and see the different colors and that kind of thing. It's kind of what I'm, uh, I'm talking about here doing when I do this with Scripture. It, it's, and I want to do that together with you for a moment so maybe you can see kind of the power of what's being said here. And again, this isn't like my favorite part of the Bible, not my, one of my favorite passages of the Bible, because look how what James says in James 1, verse 2. He says, when you encounter... Various trials. Not if. This, this is a powerful kind of prophetic statement. James is warning us of the certainty of when. You're going to face trials. You're not going to be able to pray them away. You're not going to, to obey them away. You're not going to be able to faith them away. We are going to face various trials. They're going to come. When you encounter various trials, just because it's the nature of the fallenness of this planet, we've talked about it before, that when sin entered the world, illness came, disease came, sorrow came, disappointment came, death came. It just kind of walked right in when sin entered the world. And James says, when, when you encounter various trials, and that, that word that gets translated in English, encounter, is an interesting word in other uh, forms of Greek literature, when that word gets translated, uh, th- there's a there's the surprise connected to it. Uh, in some places, it's actually used and spoken of as being robbed. It's translated as being, you know, physically, physically robbed. And so, what James is kind of saying, whenever you are surprised by various trials, whenever you wake up one day and, oh no, you got bad news. You got a phone call from maybe one of your kids or your spouse, or a parent, or a a doctor, and and you encounter surprise on the other end of the phone. When you encounter various trials, here's what you do. And remember now, these these are James' words, brother of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, when you encounter various trials, consider it. Consider it. That is, adjust your perspective, re, re kind of frame your thinking, consider it. And that's what James is telling us. We, we have to reframe and rethink our trials if we want to develop an enduring faith. When we, when we face trials, if we want to develop the kind of faith that can endure, a, a faultless faith, we need to reframe and rethink what we're thinking about our trials. If we, if we desire this, if we, if we desire a kind of faith that we've seen in great saints that we know, James says, if you want to do that, you've got to consider it all joy. What he's saying is you've got to reframe your thinking about this circumstance and this situation in a way that you're going to be able to start to see that it is a source of joy. Now, how can he say that? about your circumstances that he, he doesn't know. Having not heard your story, having not walked in your shoes, saying that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your trial is, I want you to step back. I want you to reframe it. I want you to keep rethinking it until you see that even there, that trial can be a source of joy. How in the world can he say that? Well, James is glad you asked because he answers that question. Verse 3, James says, knowing. James says there is something that you've lost sight of or something that you haven't learned before that you need to know about that you won't see right now, maybe in the middle of your trial. This knowing is us having to, in our reframing, in our rethinking of our trial, We need to do it with biblical knowledge, biblical knowing, knowing God. We need to reframe with that as our foundation. Now, of course, all of us in the middle of a trial, going through a horrible circumstance, we lose sight of those things. We kind of forget those and we get focused by the pain or the suffering. But James is saying, when you pause long enough to catch your breath, when you're able to kind of see beyond that, that circumstance for just a moment, here's what you're going to remember. Knowing that the testing of your faith. So this, you're gonna know something about your faith being tested. So what is a test? Well, testing simply means that I'm going to, I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it in such a way to ensure that whatever I'm testing, will point me to what's authentic and real. And so in this context, the trials that you're going through is a testing. Trials that we go through are a kind of testing. My brother-in-law Randy is a pipe fitter and uh, he formerly worked um, at, uh, for the U.S. government and Department of Defense. And so he would go on ships and, you know, Fit pipes. I guess that's what pipe fitters do. Um, he would fit him some pipes. Well, one of the things that uh, he told me that they would do is, while the ship was in port and they were repairing or making adjustments to the pipes, that they would sometimes overpressurize the pipes in that setting to ensure that the pipe could hold out in the heat of a battle. They they would they would do that. And so, that's what trials do. Trials in some ways. Overpressurize our lives to show us something, to point out. And that's what testing does. Testing's trying to, to point out something, how it's going to work in, in real time in the, in the heat of battle. And James is saying that the trial that you're facing, the various trials that you're going to face, are testing the authenticity of your faith. That's what trials do. Trials expose the authenticity of our faith. And that term faith, we need to understand it in in its proper context, simply refers to confidence in God. So our trials expose the authenticity of our faith, which is our confidence in God. That's what trials do, don't they? If you've ever been through one, you know that it proves the authenticity of your faith. See, this isn't... This isn't a resolution that you have to make at New Year. This isn't a decision that you ever have to make. You're going to get surprised by trials. And when you do, you're going to immediately begin to discover something about your faith in God when you're facing that trial. Now, using James kind of language here, you're going to immediately understand something about your faith. You're going to understand something about what you really believe and about what you've been pretending to believe. Or maybe about what you were taught as a kid but never really adopted as an adult as your own personal belief system. And in that moment, without doing a single thing, your faith The authenticity, the genuineness of your faith is being tested. It just happens. It's automatic. To put it another way, when our circumstances deteriorate in life, artificial, counterfeit, what's in it for me faith, deteriorates with it. It will dry up and just deteriorate with those circumstances. And you've seen this happen to other people, you know, in our day, there are a lot of people that are, you know, kind of struggling with their faith and being very public about those struggles. And maybe this has happened to you. And James is telling us whether we like it or not, there can actually be joy in discovering the truth about the authenticity of my faith. There can actually be joy found in discovering, you know, through what I didn't sign up for, what I didn't choose. But in the midst of my trial, I can discover something real about myself. I can discover something real about my faith. I can discover something real about the faith of my kids or the faith of my spouse or the faith of my coworkers or the faith of my pastor or the faith of my deacons. Because we see this in testing. In the midst of trials, we are confronted with the authenticity or the lack of authenticity of our faith. And James says there's joy in making that discovery. Now, this, this perspective of faith that is a biblical faith stands in sharp contrast to some of the silly teaching that's going on out there by people who do what I do because there's some real silliness out there. Uh, Here's what faith is not. Faith is not doing something so that you can get God to do something. It's not the point of faith. Faith isn't some type of you know, mystical superpower that just a few can access. Simply put, faith is confidence that God is who God has revealed himself to be in the Scriptures and that God keeps every promise that he makes. That, that's what faith is. It's ultimately, our faith is a response to God's faithfulness. It's not to leverage God to get what we want him to do. It's, it's nothing like that. That's not New Testament biblical faith. So James says, here's what happens. When you're facing a trial, and remember, you can't can't avoid them. It's when, not if. They're coming. When you face trials, immediately you're going to discover something about yourself, about your faith, and about your heavenly Father. And James says, if you'll step back for a moment... And you'll catch your breath, and you'll really look at, the, at just that, a perspective of what's going on. You can discover joy in the place you never anticipated. So quickly, let's review what we've walked through. When you encounter various trials, consider it all joy, brothers, knowing that the testing of your faith does two things. First thing that it does, we've already talked about it. It demonstrates something. It demonstrates whether your faith is authentic or fake. Whether it's real and will move with you through uh, these kinds of circumstances. But then James points out that there is a benefit. So it demonstrates something and it produces something. And here's what it produces, verse 3. It produces endurance. James says, hey, over time, the trials that you're facing will give you a new capacity, a new strength for life. That's what endurance is. It's the ability to hold up under pressure, under stress. In other words, what James is saying is that trials, even though we don't sign up for them, trials make our faith stronger because they exercise our faith. Trials actually exercise our faith. Our faith muscle is being exercised, and you know this. The only way to strengthen a muscle is to exercise that muscle. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I've already made a resolution to do exercise, you know, this year. Um, Here's the deal about this kind of exercise. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to make a resolution. It's coming for you. You don't choose it. It chooses you. It comes for you. And James says, I think this is one of the most interesting things. J- James says in this, don't drop out of the gym. And you're saying, where did he say that? It, it, it's, it's really kind of what he says here. But look at what he says. And let endurance have its perfect result. Let endurance have its perfect result. In other words, don't bail out. Don't jump ship. Don't, don't you know, turn your gym membership back in. See, if, you know, uh, let me see if I can explain this, what, what he's saying here. James is saying, look, what God is doing right now and what God always does in our trials is at the very center of what God is doing in your whole life. What he's doing when you face a trial is what he's doing at the very center of his relationship with you. That's where he's doing the greatest work. And isn't it interesting is the thing that we want Removed from our life is the place that God is working. See, the thing that we want to lose is the thing that God has chosen to use. We've got to be captured by that thing that we're trying to pray away out of our life. And it's okay to do that. The apostle Paul did. He tried to pray away something in his life that he didn't like about his life. And he thought it was, you know, it didn't need it to go. But God said, I'm leaving it there. I'm not going to pull it out. You're going to live with this. And so as long as God has left something in your life, God is choosing to use that to grow your faith, to strengthen you. It is at the very core and center of what God is doing in you. And I could prove it pretty quickly. I want you to think for a moment about that thing that drives you to prayer lately, that thing that just pushes you to pray, a difficult trial. See, that, that kind of proves that's the epicenter of what God is doing because of the heaviness of your heart. It's, it's difficult that you're going through this. It has your undivided attention. And you may be somebody who hasn't prayed for a really, really long time, but when you are hit by something like that, it gets your attention and you find yourself praying. Because that's what trials do. They exercise our faith, and they point out what is the center of the work that God is doing in our lives. And so... It informs your prayer life. So James says this, look, don't shortchange the process. Don't try to bail out on this. Don't quit because there is an outcome. Look, he tells us what the outcome is going to be. Look at verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And James is kind of using a little play on on words here in the original language. He's basically saying, let endurance complete its work so that you will be complete. Let endurance complete what it's setting out to do because it's going to make you complete. Some translations say uh, mature in in your faith. He's talking about a, a, a faith without faults, a faith without cracks, without, you know, fissures in it. And let's face it, the only way to have a mature faith, this faultless kind of faith, the kind of faith that only comes from experiencing God, is by going through a trial that sends you to God. So, let me suggest something about praying while in a trial. When in a trial, pray this prayer. Father, use this until you choose to lose this. It's okay to pray and ask God to take it away, but I would encourage you to also pray, Father, use this until you choose to lose this. And God, he's going to do that. Now, James knows that is a hard prayer to pray, to embrace your trial to embrace your pain, to embrace your, your circumstances. He knew that because of the experiences that he had, you know, with the first century church, his brothers and sisters in the day that were facing so many intense trials. How could something good come from trials was, you know, it's almost imaginable. And, and James is saying, I understand that. I, I, I get that. I, I hear you. You know, he, he, he's saying that. But he's also saying, You've got to see the value in moving forward in this, in discovering something about yourself and your faith and your God. But if you get stuck and you're still at a place and you're going through this and you, you can't see how there could ever be any joy that could come out of something like this, James says, okay, if that's you, when that's you, here's what you do. But if any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, specifically, if any of you lacks the perspective that you need to see things the way God sees your your trial. If If you lack that perspective to see what God is doing in you and through you and around you, James says, here's what you've got to do. If you lack wisdom, if you lack that perspective, ask God. Ask God. For what? That wisdom, that insight, that, that perspective. See, here's the problem. You're going through this difficult, tough time. The first thing that you think that you want is not wisdom, is it? What's the first thing you think you want? I want relief. I want deliverance. Get this thing out of me. Get me out of this. That, that's the first thing we want. But James says, slow your roll. Don't jump ship. Don't turn into your membership. Give it an opportunity. Ask God to show you what he is doing. Ask him for wisdom. So here's another thing to pray when you're in the midst of a trial. Pray, Father, give me wisdom to see what you see. Give me the wisdom that sees what you see in the middle of this. See, God, James is telling us that this is, this prayer this is a prayer that God will answer generously. He all, God wants to answer this prayer. He wants you to see your life the way He sees it. He wants you to see what He's doing in you and around you and through you. He wants to, you, to, to give you eyes to see what He's doing in your, the, your family's life and in your friend's life and in your spouse's life uh, and in your church's life. He wants to give you those kinds of eyes so pray, God, give me wisdom to see what what you see you know oftentimes when God answers that prayer and you are given the ability to see what God is doing in your circumstances when that happens oftentimes it is so much easier to do what God says do when you see God at work in the midst of what's going on and so James says ask God ask God for the perspective you need Okay, I want to rewind real quickly. Here's what James has told us. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And remember how he can say this to us. He says, knowing this, knowing that the testing of your faith, knowing that it demonstrates something, it demonstrates the authenticity, and it provides something, it produces something, it produces endurance, that the testing of your faith demonstrates your faith is real or points out where you need to work on it. And he says, don't bail out. Let endurance have a perfect result. Don't leave the gym early. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if you get to the point where you can't see the benefit and the payoff of this thing, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you're thinking, God, you got to show me something. God, i got to see something. God, i got to hear something. In those moments, don't give up. But instead, ask God for wisdom. Ask God for perspective to see what he sees. Now, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever known somebody, met somebody, maybe you're related to somebody who has faced an intense trial in life? The kind of trial that you pray to God that you never have to go through. You know, you've you said, God, I, I sure hope I don't. Have you ever watched somebody go through a trial like that and endure it? And, and their confidence in God doesn't wane but grows. Their, their faith gets strengthened in the midst of a storm. Even if it's facing things that you pray you never have to face. You ever met anybody like that? I have met, I've been privileged by God to meet a few people like that over the course of my life. And can I just say something to you? Those people, they just inspire the socks off of me. They they inspire me like crazy. Now, for those of you who, you know, it seems like every time you pray you get a yes to God and you kind of have a a wrinkle-free life, you don't inspire me a bit. I thank God for you. But I am inspired by those people whose faith gets deeply challenged who walk at times in the valley of the shadow of death and and they leave there knowing something more about their faith and its authenticity and the strength and faithfulness of their father. People whose prayers in this life go unanswered, but their confidence in God soars. Those are the people who inspire me. Some, Some of those people, that I, I'm thinking specifically have faced long battles with things like cancer, but were faithful to their God. Some of those people were kind of rejected by members of their family. Some even abandoned by their family, but they were faithful to God until the end. And he never removed the consequences, never. They faced it all the days of their life. Now, again, hear me, it's okay. It's okay to go to God and ask for a miraculous touch, a miraculous healing. I have prayed for that with some of the people that I'm talking about. But when God doesn't remove it and he chooses to continue to use it, they continue to walk by faith, real faith. See, that, that's faithfulness. It's the kind of faithfulness that produces endurance. And again, Those are the people that inspire the world. In fact, those were the people that James pastored. And they changed the world. They they literally changed the world because of their unwavering faith in their Savior. Who did not always take them out of the fire. But was with them in it. And so, as we're reminded today, God, God wants to to choose what he wants to use. And we don't need to ask him to lose it, but to use it. You know, that, that's kind of the bottom line of what James is telling us here, that let God choose what he wants to use. See, those people of unwavering wavering faith, you know, people that if you don't know, I'm sure you've read about. Uh, and, and James' words as instructions are, they're an invitation to you they're an invitation to me to step into that kind of faith and ask God, God, choose what you use. I'm not going to ask you to lose it. Choose what you use. Now, God, I will ask for a touch. I'll ask for healing. I'll ask for release and deliverance. But it's up to you to choose what you're going to use. And when you do, you get to experience life with God. God. At the core of your life, it's an amazing experience, the faithfulness of God in your trials. Now, James finishes kind of this section of his writing in this first chapter, and I want to take you to verse 12, because he says this, blessed is a man and ladies, that's you two, who perseveres under trials. And that's those people who, you know, are developing this faultless kind of faith. Uh, And hopefully that will be me and you. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trials, which means they know they're not going to be able to pray it away or obey it away or faith it away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trials. For once he has been approved. That's that moment when you discovered something about your faith. You've realized it's either authentic or it's not. That person, the Bible says, listen to the promise, that those people with that kind of faith, that endurance, they will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those are the people who receive that crown of life. You know what the crown of life is? It's eternal life. Now. You get to wear wear it now. You receive it now. That's, That's what it's for. Life with God in the here and now. Life with God in the midst of trial. It's that abundant life that Jesus in John 10, 10 said that he came to give. It's life with hope. It's life with peace. And it's life with joy that James was talking about. It's getting to know the goodness of God in the midst of your worst experience. See, verse 12 tells me that God our Father that one of the things God our Father does is he values and he uses enduring faith. He values and uses this kind of enduring faith. And God has invited you and me to step in to this realm, you know, and to begin to see, to look at our trials, our circumstances, the things that we don't like that are going on in us and around us, to look at them differently, Face them differently every single day because here's what we know. With confidence, with enduring faith, with a faultless faith, it leaves a mark on this world. It leaves a mark on people. It will leave a mark on your children. It's the kind of faith that will leave a mark on your grandchildren. Not not that faith that just skates through the life easy, But what you do when you face trials, it will mark your children. Even if you don't live to see it, they will be marked by it. God God will use it. That's why this is so powerful. And James invites us to lean in, to allow God to purify and strengthen that kind of faith in us in the midst of what he's doing. So our trials, and we're all facing them and we're all going to, they present us an opportunity to let endurance have its way so that there can be this perfect result, this, this result where you're complete and you lack nothing. So with that in mind, I just want to incorporate and, and again, just offer one more little addition to your prayer life. You may, you may already pray every day. Maybe you just want to tag this on. Uh, maybe you have found yourself as one of those people who hasn't prayed in a long time and it's just kind of starting up because of the trial that you're in. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed before in your life because you didn't think you know how. Th- this would be a good place to start. Just, this would be a good place to, to begin. And I want to encourage you to begin simply by praying, Heavenly Father, and then fill in whatever trial you're facing. Heavenly Father, this, this trial that I'm facing, you choose to remove it when you're ready. And God, when I can't imagine, when I can't imagine that you could use this for good in my life, will you give me wisdom? Will you give me perspective to see what you're doing, what you see going on in my life? Because James says that that kind of prayer is the kind of prayer that God wants to answer. So one more time, I want to kind of put All this together, just kind of pull the noose in on it. I'm going to invite the worship team to begin making their way back up. James chapter 1, verses 2 and following. Consider it all joy, my brothers. Consider means to reframe it in such a way that you see the joy in it. When you encounter various trials. Here's why. Knowing. Knowing. You know, when when you're able to pause and catch your breath, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know, it's that simply test of your faith that produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And when you're just not sure, you can get there. When you lack wisdom or perspective, ask God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to you. Let's pray. Father, we come having encountered your word and because of it, having encountered you. And we've been Called to a place of deeper faith. And God, your word has shown us that you are at work in us. And sometimes God, you're working in that place that we are begging you to take away. God, I pray that you will give us a new perspective. That you will show us though we did not choose it, it shows us. You're at work in it. You're building something. You're completing us. You're maturing us. You're shaping us. You're sanctifying us into the beloved image of your son, Jesus. And you're doing it in that that hot spot, that place that right now is heavy on our hearts. God, we choose today not to run from that, not to bail out but to stay in it with you, believing that you're there. Increase our faith, Lord. Strengthen our faith. And God, in those moments where we can't see, where it makes no sense to us, give us wisdom, give us perspective. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to take us into those deep places those deep places where you're at work in us that will only be found, will only see you in the midst of our trials. We wanna know you, God. We wanna see you. There's the Holy Spirit. We invite you to take us into those deep places. We trust you, God. We believe that there is joy for us even there. God, I pray for those who came in today and their faith was faltering. I pray that by the power of your word, you will build a faultless faith in their lives. I pray that for myself, for my brothers and sisters. I pray that for this church, that we will be known as a church with the kind of faith, the kind of trust, the kind of confidence in you, O oh God, that lacks nothing. Shape us, draw us, take us deep This is my prayer now, in Jesus' name, amen.